0: Good morning, and welcome all those in person, those watching in your vehicles driving, be careful. Those of you watching at home, welcome to all today. What a great day to be together. I'm grateful for the chance to share with you all this morning some truths that I've had, uh, kind of been laboring through and from God's word today. I'm grateful uh, for the many hands that have gone into an incredible service already today. There's so much work that goes into all that they just did. It's much easier to do things in person as you will see for the next 28 minutes of your life. I have so enjoyed seeing our Pulpit Rock Church families lead us through these Advent moments to get a chance to see them in their homes. And Becky has done just such an amazing job writing out our Advent readings for the season. But I will challenge us today. There is going to be a streak broken today. The first two weeks of Advent, both speakers had people come to them after service and want to know where they got their outfits, And could they purchase those items? I don't think any of that will be happening today. (laughs) And don't bring me your pity requests. I know better. We're in the midst of such an intriguing Advent season, this season of anticipation and of waiting. This is week three. And as evidence of our Heavenly Father's great sense of humor, I was asked to speak on the subject of joy. Now, I'm not an unjoyful person, but I, too, I do tend to wear my emotions on my sleeve. Good or bad, I tend to be pretty emotive most days. If you work at all with students, I think it's important to live and love out loud with transparency and authenticity. That often means, though, that my community knows when I'm feeling it and when I'm not. So following that trend, I don't mind sharing with you all this morning that this whole joy thing has been difficult for me in recent days, and that would be more like in recent months, this has been difficult for me. With constant changes to schedules, doubtful days, and a serious lack of momentum, I have struggled to be joyful, even joy-half-full. After a workday recently, we were at home and I was doing some serious belly aching while doing the dishes. There was way more complaining than cleaning going on. I was spouting off about COVID and its many restrictions, feeling most of all for our students and their families as they make their way and journey together during this season. And how if tighter restrictions were to return, and they have, that it would grieve me deeply And it has. I was, after all, supposed to be speaking about joy in just a few short weeks. Then the words of the great philosopher, my beautiful wife, Molly Kathleen, came from the other room saying, Mark, true joy is not the absence of the things that break your heart. Could we rest in that absolute fact for just a moment? What an impactful statement. It was well said and perfectly timed. Which by the way, are any of you married to great philosophers or theologians like I am? She's one of God's greatest gifts in my life. What she said immediately struck me and caused a pause, posing the question, could these two things coexist? Two things that naturally we don't think ought to belong together, you know, like oil and water. Two things that should not coexist, you know, like being the first one to fall asleep at a sleepover, but all your friends have brand new Sharpies in hand. Those two things should not go together. Like the literal building in Chicago that leases space to both a children's yoga studio and a candy store. Let that one soak for a second. Like the miraculous birth of a grandbaby but having to wait in the parking lot all night long for it to happen. 2020 has given us countless examples. There have been graduations and funerals and weddings, but we have been unable to celebrate them the way that we truly deserve to do so. True joy and heartbreak, two things that seemingly could not coexist. Did you know that scripture smashes these directly together in Psalm 1:26-5? Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. That's our tension here. It's Advent, it's the holidays, it's Christmas time. Joy to the world, fa-la-la-la-la, man. True joy in the midst of legitimate heartbreak. Can they exist together? Spoiler alert, yes. But let's wrestle with that for one moment more. The true joy that's available through Christ is even more compelling when when viewed alongside the the joys that this world presents to us of which there are several. First of all, there's fake joy. Have any of you ever faked joy? I see that hand. You ever walked into a room, plastered on that smile? Yeah, I've never done that either. You put on that face, motivating your heart, your soul, and your spirit just enough to get through the moment. How did that go for you? I wonder if joy above all these other Advent concepts isn't the most difficult one to fake. We can fake hope, longing for, looking to, something in the future to hang our hats on. We can fake peace, keeping the outward calm while the inner rages. You know, don't tip the cart, don't rock the boat. And while the cost of faking those two is very high, I wonder if the cost of faking joy doesn't take the greatest toll, doesn't dampen the spirit, doesn't truly crush our soul. Alongside fake joy, there's a naive joy, the type that when you see it, you think there couldn't have possibly been enough life experience for that to be real, you know, like junior varsity joy. There's also seasonal or contextual joy. We all know this type dependent on situation or circumstance. At first glance, 2020 would have very little of this type of joy to offer. And there are surely countless reasons why joy is taken away. They would be as varied and different as each one of us are from one another. In fact, right now, in your homes or cars, as you're sharing online, you have likely had a joy taker come to mind. Name it. I've learned in recent leadership coaching that if you can name it, you can tame it. If you can name it, you can tame it. Go ahead, name that joy taker. Those of you in the room, name the joy taker. Name it. Go ahead. Thank you. For me recently, I would have to name unrealistic expectations. And so much of my recent frustrations have come from the distance that exists between my expectations and reality. That distance has been vast. What I'm hoping for in what actually exists. Perhaps you could relate. True joy then is the, in, the, in this light is even more desirable, is it not? Seeing the folly of the temporal, would we not desire the eternal? If offered the now, would we not choose the forever? Forever. I believe that true joy, which we want to be all about, can be found in the very midst of things that break our hearts. So let's look together in God's word to be encouraged in this fact. Joy is a hot topic in scripture. It's mentioned over 150 times. If you were to add the phrase joyous or joyful, the count would be more than 200 times in the Bible. If such words were added over and over again, we'd hardly be able to count them. This morning, we'll be digging to Isaiah 61 together. Would you take a moment and find that chapter, Isaiah the prophet, chapter 61. We're gonna deal firstly in verses one through four, but as we do so, as we find that together, at home, online, and in person, I have a few notes for this. This is a beautiful chapter full of poetry, vivid word pictures, and very real life examples. This chapter was written to God's people in waiting. They are in the midst of this waiting period that we've all been looking at during Advent. These people are involved in hundreds of years of waiting, anticipation, and longing. This chapter, Isaiah 61, was absolutely written to us today. We're in the midst of several millennia of waiting. And we do love waiting, don't we? No. We live in an instant world. Have a question? Siri has an immediate answer. We don't even have to reply to a text message anymore. Hold your thumb down for a second. You can either like or love something. Hungry? Head to the microwave. Comedian Brian Regan has a hilarious sketch where he talks about putting a Pop-Tart in a microwave for three seconds. Our world has conditioned us not to wait. This is why waiting feels so uncomfortable to our human spirits, but it doesn't have to feel that way to our heavenly God and Holy Spirit. Let's look at verse one, which introduces us initially to how this true joy is possible. Would you read with me? The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. In this verse, we are introduced to the fullness of God. Here we see the sovereign Lord, the Spirit, and the anointed Messiah, the Trinity, the triune God. True joy is only found in the fullness of God. That fullness in our daily lives affecting our choices, dictating our thoughts, and correcting our attitudes. And it's absolutely easier said than done. This is a tall task, living into and inside the fullness of God. Isaiah the prophet is no doubt speaking of himself in this verse. He has been tasked with the caretaking of God's people which at times I'm sure was a real treat. Taking care of people who are waiting. Walmart on a Saturday afternoon. He was encouraging them as they were waiting for the Messiah. The fulfillment of promises they had heard most of their lives. This might be a good moment to introduce waiting for and waiting with. Isaiah was waiting for the Messiah too but he was waiting with God's people while they were doing so. There was this longing for what was to come while navigating the here and now. Again, can we relate? But ultimately, Isaiah is doing here what we all should be doing every day, pointing to Jesus. Like blinking, annoying, neon-lit arrows. Pointing to Jesus. He is speaking about Christ, the long-awaited Messiah. How do we know? Well, Jesus owns this verse. He claims this very chapter and verse. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus, while speaking, as was tradition in the synagogue, on the Sabbath was handed a scroll. He took the scroll and opened it to Isaiah 61. There reading, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And further in verse 21, he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, in your presence before you. Can you imagine the eyes wide open moment this was for people listening to Jesus? This is what they have been talking about for hundreds of years and waiting for. This is who they've been waiting for, which, by the way, a quick side note. If Christ himself talked about the importance of the Holy Spirit, how much more important is it then for us? Now, Jesus stopped his reading at verse 2, which is fascinating. But look at me with this phrase, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor. The translation in the message says the year of his grace. God's people had been through some terrible things. They had been through captivity and exile, capture, freedom. It had to have seemed foreign to their ears, this favor. And for us now today, this year, how foreign does this favor sound to us Surely 2020, the year that many of us have literally wished away, could not be a year of God's favor. But what if it has? I mean, are we sure? Could this not have been a year of favor all along? Did we miss it? Did we miss the joy? Was it taken from us? Did we allow it to be taken from us? This is a sharp turn, no doubt, but there are a few reasons why I think it has been a year of his grace and a year of his favor. This unbelievable year has forced us out, out to our homes, out to our neighborhoods, out to our fears, to our doubts, and to our unknowns. This unprecedented season has called our bluff on what we hold dear, things that we once thought important reshuffling our priorities. These unusual days are moving us from a lazy church to a scattered, active church. I said lazy, and that's me, chief of the lazy. From comfortable routines to absolute disruption. And these ridiculous times have further revealed an even more ridiculous God. He's in charge, he's in control, he's in command, and is so with care and compassion. How much greater is our favor? We have been given a gift that ancient people only heard whispers of, promises of, tales and stories of. Isaiah prophesied about a favor coming that would accept, forgive, and save. World-renowned evangelist Billy Graham said, until then, though, we are living in the year of the Lord's favor because Christ died and rose again for our sins. Salvation by grace through faith is now available to everyone who repents and believes in his atoning work on the cross. I could not master my Billy Graham impression over the last two weeks. But now I feel like the the next verse in Isaiah 61 will provide us an amazing opportunity to do what we've been doing these past two weeks in our Advent series, which is to lament. Check out verse 3 in Isaiah 61. Isaiah beautifully describes a series of goods and bads, of possibilities but realities. Read with me. And provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Here Isaiah describes beautifully our original tension, the coexistence of two very different things. And this list of insteads was the better available to God's people, the more instead of the less. There is a list of insteads available to us today as well, the Lord's favor. But if you're like me, and not many folks want to be that, the less is much easier to see. They are the obvious things right in front of me that often bring distraction, fatigue, despair, and a sense of overwhelm. I find myself distracted by changing restrictions. I will tell you folks, recently I feel like I've been standing, just standing in front of a swelling wave of overwhelm. Waiting to have it crush on me. Constantly distracted by things that have taken away my focus. Choosing to focus on what I can't instead of what I can. I found despair in the constant realization that I cannot provide enough help for enough people. And as if God the Father, Christ the Savior, and the Holy Spirit don't have things under control, the fullness of God is in command. Selfishly, I wonder, could we please share just a few moments of reflection and lament together? I confess that I also need to do this to lay before God what has been troubling us, what is currently troubling us, but could we use Isaiah 61 as a template to do so? Would you take just a moment where you are and find a posture where you could give to God what's been grieving you, but then also find a way to recognize his provision. Would you then also take just a moment and mourn with God losses from this season and then find a moment to look for his anointing? Would you then take a moment and welcome him into any sense of despair and find a way to trade that in for garments of praise? Would you then take just a moment to recognize losses of joy this year, to include times when it was taken from you, or to recognize times when you allowed it to be taken from you, and then find a way to ask his fullness to bring true joy? And then finally, would you just ask God for the display of his splendor? Father, God, what a beautiful time to sit in your midst midst and lay before you what grieves us, what causes us to mourn. Father, we ask you for the instead and make it obvious to, obvious to us. Thank you for the opportunity to sit with you and lament in Christ's name, amen. The middle of this incredible chapter includes an inspiring list of what we just said, a list of insteads, encouraging promises of blessing and provision and acknowledgement of the blessing of being called God's people. But in verse 10 of Isaiah 61, Isaiah nails it. There is so much of Isaiah 61 that is dealt in what they were waiting for. But because the Messiah has come, died, and then rose again, we have a plan of what to wait with. Look with me. Verse 10, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Our original tension of true joy and absolute heartbreak is addressed here. Despite sorrow and suffering and struggle and strife, we can wait in the confidence of our relationship in the fullness of God. We, each of us, have been clothed and arrayed in God's greatness. We wait with delight. We wait with rejoicing We wait with salvation, beauty, and relationship. We wait with joy, not for joy, we wait with joy. Not just the destination, but the journey. Not just the future, but the now. I so appreciate Isaiah's description of soil and a garden in verse 11. That sprouts come up and seeds grow. This reminds me of fruit. It reminds me of the fruit of the spirit. I loved how in our first two weeks of Advent, both Cindy Limbrick and Susie Bates chose to kind of nourish the Isaiah text with material from the New Testament. Cindy mentioned Galatians chapter 4 in the fullness of time. Susie presented us the book of Philippians, that whatever is true and noble and right and pure and lovely, whatever is admirable, anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Well, this morning, I want to be nourished by Galatians 5, and 23, which says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Our Advent season is visible in that verse. God's ancient people were waiting for things that we get to wait with. Emmanuel, God with us, they waited for. Emmanuel, God still with us, we wait with. We have access to the constant indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. The living in the fullness of God means waiting daily with joy. This is God Himself. Let's wait with Him. After all, He gets it, doesn't He? He's not up there just wagging that big old finger at us like I have envisioned for most of my life. He's actually postured like this. He's saying, come here. Son, daughter, child, come here. Wait with me. Sit with me. The fullness of God. Author Dorothy Sayers, English crime novelist, who passed nearly 63 years ago today, in her essay, The Greatest Drama Ever Staged, wrote this. He has himself gone through the whole of human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money, to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. When he was a man, he played the man. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace and thought it well worthwhile. He who thought it well worthwhile is here with us in the waiting. He is the one who relates, resonates, and understands. As we're waiting with true joy in the midst of things that break our hearts, he waits with us. Our holding the hand of hope Holding the hand of peace and holding the hand of joy is literally holding the hand of God. I have a notoriously terrible memory, and it gets me in trouble all the time. Most of the past is pretty blurry. I make jokes about having cobwebs up there, but it seems pretty real. I'm not sure those brain snapsies are firing for me. My memory seems to be just a series of snapshots but I do vividly remember being a child in an Albertsons grocery store at the intersection of Main and Security Boulevard in Widefield. I had come out of an aisle where I was walking by myself and then walked for what seemed like quite some time, holding the hand of a woman I thought was my mother. It wasn't my mother. <laughs> This other woman had graciously, or creepily, walked along with me seemingly unaffected. But for me, there was something secure about walking along like that, hand in hand. As we walk the remainder of 2020 through this Advent and Christmas season, I pray we will walk daily in God's fullness, which in the midst of mourning and grief and heartbreak is our only chance at finding true joy. Now, there's an an art, a masterful art that at the end of a sermon, you want to invite people to do things, to do something, the invitation. I don't have a top five for us today about how to go live in the fullness of God. That's something different for each of us. But what I would like to show you is a short clip from the end of the movie, Inside Out, Disney Pixar's Masterpiece. Joy has spent the entire movie trying to keep sadness away from, Will everything. But there's this beautiful moment at the end where for the sake of Riley, joy truly lets sadness in. Riley! Oh, oh we were worried sick. Where have you been? It's so late. Uh... Want me to? But I miss home. I miss Minnesota. You need me to be happy. But I want my old friends and my hockey team. I want to go home. Please don't be mad. I miss Minnesota, too. I miss the woods when we took hikes. And the backyard where you used to play. Spring Lake, where you learned to skate. Us, like Riley, the betterment for our betterment, we can find in the fullness of God this coexistence between joy and sorrow and joy and heartbreak. True joy is not the absence of the things that break our hearts. The things that break our hearts are the obvious, but the secret, the surprise, is the joy we've been talking about, the joy we all want, and the joy that we all need. Would y'all stand together? We've been talking about Emmanuel and that God is with us. Our worship leaders are going to lead us in a time, would you find posture standing, seated, at home, wherever you are? Would you find a posture as we respond in worship today, celebrating Emmanuel, that God is with us?